0: Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we explore the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. In this, our fifth season, we are looking at Joe Johnston's 2011 film Captain America, The First Avenger. I'm Andy Nelson from the True Story FM Entertainment Podcast Network.
1: And I beat right. And y'all, the blue goo is also plane engine stuff.
0: <laughs> Today, we're talking about Minute 98, which begins with Peggy taking out the flame trooper and ends with Cap entering the Hydra hangar. Back on the show, it's Nate Bubba Wheat Withrow. Hello, Nate. Hey,
2: it's good to be back again.
0: Uh, my first question as things get started here, was Peggy following the flame trooper up the hallway like she saw him <laughs> in the distance and was running toward him? Because are <laughs>
1: going to open on flame trooper again. <laughs> he came up
0: the hallway, and then she's like right behind him and takes him out. Like, she must have been following this guy, right?
1: Andy, this is the thing. This is what you missed. She also bored... <laughs> to the side of the mountain
0: <laughs> <laughs> and what floor are they on that's the other question <laughs> where's the where's the, blue,
2: where's the blueprints for this lair <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's right i need some schematics here's the other question does she know steve's around the corner or does she just think that that she's taking out this flame trooper?
1: At this point, she is fueled only by passion. Just, <laughs> she's, like, just trying to find Steve. She doesn't care what else is going on. She's
0: just going to shoot everybody. So when she comes around the corner, every time up until this, she's always expecting Steve. But now she finally gets Steve. Is that what you're saying?
1: Hell, I'm surprised she's not wearing the red dress right now.
0: At this, <laughs> po- Like, right now. That would be as, as uh, appropriate for war as her riding jodhpurs. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> If the word "jodpers" doesn't end up in the title of one of the episodes this week, you will have broken it.
0: <laughs> oh my gosh! Uh, you know, all right. In all seriousness, though, okay. So we've got this moment: Peggy saves Steve by killing the flame trooper. Now we've got this little this moment of cuteness, this attraction between Peggy and Steve. Nate, you're new to the show. We haven't talked to you yet about. Peggy and Steve, <laughs> where do you sit with this relationship between these two characters? Count yourself lucky, Nate.
2: <laughs> you know, I I like it. It's, I, I think it's mostly well done. I do think that there are a few tropey moments. And, I, you know, we'll get one more of them later on this week. But I don't know. I I like the back and forth. Between the two of them and this budding appreciation for each other that turns into the start of a romance that gets cut short by Cap being frozen in ice for 70
0: years. Well, it gets cut short for him. For her, it doesn't get cut short at all. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, she's
1: doing fine.
0: (laughs) Let's let's lest we forget. He just reappears at some point and is like, "Hey, babe." He talked about going to to the uh, what is it, the Kit Kat Club? Now I'm forgetting where they're going. But anyway, the Stork Club. So he shows up, and they have a happy life together. So really, it's fine. It's all it's all fine. It's all him. He's the one who gets really the short shrift. All right. Well, anyway, it's, it is cute. And actually, I do like the way the moment plays. There is this moment of connection between the two. I like how, as they approach, Steve gets nice and close to her as he's, you know, there. We've got the little callback line to the you're late, which uh, I think is kind of fun. And it seems like they're going to kiss. And then, of course, uh, they don't because, you know, <laughs> Steve is supposed to be chasing the bad guy right now, not kissing Peggy. Of course, he's supposed to be doing that later, too.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I I do appreciate that it's Peggy that brings it up, that, like, cuts the moment short.
1: Yeah, even though I also like that it seems hard for her to do so. Like, she's challenged (laughs) to actually have this bit of maturity right at this moment.
2: Especially since it does seem like this moment, there is, like, a slight lull in the battle. So it it feels like
1: if there was going to be a kiss, it should be
2: now. Right. Almost.
0: <laughs> it plays that way where, uh, but again, we're not at that point where things are ending between them. So it, it, it just plays as a cute little romantic uh, respite that we have before she sends him back on his way. She might as well have like patted him on his back. Go get him tiger. You know, it's, it's, it's one of those moments that feels very, <laughs> uh, very much like that. Uh, but that takes us to, uh, to Steve. He pulls his shield out of the door Um, I, I don't know why considering the shield is holding the door open. I really wanted that door to have a nice close to it, like kind of slam shut and he pulls his shield out and it just like slowly closes. I'm like, oh, well that wasn't, (laughs) that was very not gratifying. It's like, did he need the shield there to stop the door or could he have just like pushed a button and opened it? It's just cooler (laughs) when he holds it open with his shield. It's much cooler. Yeah. (laughs) Sure.
2: And the fact that uh, I'm I'm guessing um, Zola is the one that's brought in these automatic doors because I, I I don't I don't know how common automatic doors were in the
0: 40s.
1: Well, it was the Zola door, two thousand,
0: <laughs> <The>, right? <laughs> the Zola doors. He has the the Zola security cameras everywhere. I mean, Pete, he's just like you. He's always the one riding the edge of technology. <laughs>
1: And breaking stuff behind him. The doors <laughs> actually,
0: the doors don't work, believe me. <laughs> well, that's taking us to the hangar. And now we get the Valkyrie as we see Schmidt uh running up to it and climbing up the ladder. He is now entering this 540-foot uh wingspan plane. I'm a little torn on who all gets into the plane. We see Schmidt climbing up the ladder, and then we cut to some allies. Uh, soldiers who come in and start shooting we see uh some of the pilots trying to climb up the ladder and they all get shot
2: you hear of gunfire and you see them fall down but they don't appear to be shot
0: they right (laughs) (laughs) they're playing dead and they're actually gonna they're gonna gonna scamper back up as soon as the (laughs) allied soldiers aren't looking that's what it is (laughs) well because i'm wondering like how did the others are the rest of them sleeping in here maybe that maybe the rest of them It's like a firehouse, right, where all of the firemen live there. And so this is how I I think it is. The pilots live in the Valkyrie, and these ones were the ones who were just on leave, and they're coming back from their break. And, of course, the Allies attacked.
1: Well, I don't even know if it's that. They might have just been, like, Schmidt's guys. Like, they might have been Schmidt's team that's always with Schmidt. Like, they just follow him around wherever he goes. And there are also guys who are in the—I mean, again, 540 feet. There are rooms for bunks in this thing. You have to believe that somebody's on this ship, and it's Schmidt's team that didn't get on
0: it. Just make sure when you're under the Valkyrie, you're not standing under the latrine hatch.
1: For sure. For sure. But does that need to be said? Please don't stand (laughs) under potentially opening (laughs) toilets. Also, don't eat anything bigger than your head. Like, there are a lot of tips we can give.
0: All right. Anyway, now we're getting into this airplane which is ridiculously large and the tesseract is here and I can't help but wondering is this like Schmidt leaving the keys in the car like to have the <laughs> the tesseract just sitting here in the ignition?
1: yes yes this is problematic i have two problems with this number one is that yes somebody has already put the tesseract in and anybody could take the plane and two what schmidt proves to us in this scene is that this giant plane that has lots of chairs that look very important really only takes one guy to pilot and it like, really, they could have made off with this giant thing. Like, some renegade, they're all evildoers. None of them are above, like, taking this plane for a joyride.
2: I think it also has to do with Schmidt's mentality. He knows that there's a good chance that he's going to lose, and so he has this escape plan
0: ready. But then why didn't he go here first? Why did he go to the front door first? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. I, s- I don't understand. I don't understand. He got that. lost because he, he's new to this base.
2: He's like, oh, th- this isn't where I parked my car.
1: <laughs> yeah, oh, you yeah. can imagine him getting to the front door and seeing all the soldiers and just saying, Godzooks, I'd better take the plane. And scamper back inside. <laughs> oh,
2: he, he was going to his car first. That's that's why. That's why Peggy has that's why they get to the car.
1: (laughs) The car is in the car also in the the cars also
0: appear. That's the thing. Like the car is parked behind the plane. So funny. I don't know. Okay. Well so Uh, Schmidt's in the plane. Schmidt's in the plane. He turns the Tesseract key and gets (laughs) gets it started. Uh now, okay, so we're getting into the Valkyrie. We see that great little schematic of the Valkyrie, and the way that this plane is set up is it has those two massive turbines at the back of it, and that actually is all it needs to fly. We also have those eight propellers in the back, those are all of the flyger parasite uh so those are basically the little uh suicide planes uh that the The pilots will hop into to fly and try to drop their bombs on the cities that we see later in the film. But they actually aren't needed to fly the plane, but they're just kind of a cool addition because they have their little propellers back there. They can help it and everything, but they aren't needed, which is kind of an interesting – it's an interesting design, the way that they put that together.
2: Um, you, You did skip over what I think is a great shot. I think right before the display pops up is you have this shot where you have Schmidt framed inside of the the small uh, hydroplane window. Uh, Just like, you know, he's framed very small and alone and trapped in this. And and I think that is a really brilliant shot for this point in the movie.
0: I'd have to go back and look at the earlier minutes, but I feel like that also may be a callback to the very beginning of the film when they first discover this in the Arctic and the fact that we're kind of seeing it's, I don't think it's an identical shot, but it's a similar shot where we're kind of seeing those shapes that we had seen when the, the, uh, the team was exploring it at the very beginning. And so I like that it is kind of feeling like as we start seeing shots like that, it feels like, okay, there's a little bit of a callback coming on here. Um, All right. So yeah. So now uh, red skull starts the engines we've got the little schematic of it and then we see a shot of uh you know we can see the cameras p- come on we see one is uh, it looks like his rear view camera you can see kind of behind us to what's going on and then the other is a map and we can see okay we've got a sense as to the the scope of things and then we have this really funky shot that i struggle with because it looks like we're supposed to be crossing the atlantic over to The final shot of the map, which is, it says Zeal, New York City, which is Target. So we know that he's targeting New York City. But the way that it moves, it it feels like we're coming, I guess we're coming across the Arctic Circle and Greenland and stuff as we come down past Hudson Bay. I don't know. It's a really funky map move. Because he's flying over the top of the pole. Well, I guess so. I mean, yeah, I guess that would make the most sense from Austria- You'd come over the top. Sure. Okay.
2: Yeah, because in, in terms of, like, flight paths, if you're trying to go the shortest distance, you're not going, like, straight across. You want to go in a curved line. So I I do think that going, like, curving towards the, the Arctic Circle would be technically the shortest path.
0: Probably. Yeah. Even
2: though it doesn't look like the flight path curves, it, it looks like a straight line in the uh, display.
0: Yeah, right, right. When we're looking at the map of the plane or the, or the schematic, there are also two units on the left and the right that aren't attached to the plane. Do we do we know what those are?
2: I, I was curious about that myself. I, I thought that those might have represented like the the bomb pods. That's what I was thinking. But the, it only shows two of them, and we are shown at least three of them. Because we see Chicago, New York, and I forget what the third city is.
0: It's strange. I, and I wasn't sure. I'm like, do those represent the two engines in the back? But then why aren't we just illuminating those on the back of the, the plane schematic? And so it's it's strange. It's it, you know, I, I I guess it's just, I don't know, it's a peculiar thing to have those two separate things illuminated there that they look like they're supposed to be bombs, but it just doesn't make a lot of sense. I'll have to pay attention to that, Pete, as we kind of continue. And once those the little uh, the flagger parasites start taking off. We'll see what changes on this. Right. Um, All right. So he gets all this uh, uh, set. His targets, New York city. He he, uh, ignites the engines and the plane starts rolling this massive 540 foot wingspan plane starts rolling down this massive runway in the middle of this mountain 3,500 feet (laughs) up from the base (laughs) And uh, and we end the minute with Steve running into the hangar uh, under a wonderful spotlight that's that's directly overhead, which is nice to illuminate him and separate him from the gray background for us. And that's kind of where the minute ends, where he's trying to find Red Skull. Um, any last thoughts on anything within this minute?
1: Well, he looks great. He's uh, you know it's a nice push in, and it it leads to to great anxiety-inducing minutes to come.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Indeed, indeed. All right. Uh, Well, we'll be back tomorrow to talk about Minute 99. We're getting close to that century mark, everybody. Uh, In the meantime, Nate, uh, thank you so much. And tell everybody again where they can tune in to uh, the stuff that you're doing out there on the Internet.
2: Sure. Well, uh, I'll talk about one of my more recent projects that I just started uh, a few weeks back, I, I'm part of the Movies by Minutes community, and I have started building a uh, Movies by Minutes wiki uh, to for all the podcasts and and podcasters. And uh, I'm building that at, at uh, fandom. dot com, which is a you know a free site. So if you go to movies by minutes. dot fandom. dot com. Uh, you can go on there and you can, you know, if you have a podcast that's not on there or a podcast that you listen to, you can edit it and add it there. And uh, uh, and I'm continuously trying to build it up to to get all the ones that I know about on there. And hopefully it continues to, to grow and uh, uh, become an, an additional resource for uh, Movies by Minutes podcasters and listeners. And uh, again... For all of my other projects, uh, you can find me on Twitter, where I'm at BubbaWeeds.
0: Fantastic. Well, check all of that out, everybody. And uh, we'll be back tomorrow with Minute 99. So, Pete, thanks as always.
1: Can't talk. Must get myself in the wiki.
0: <laughs> Until next time, true believers.
1: marvel movie minute is a production of true story fm engineering by andy nelson this season's music is spread the news by anthony vega and this season's show art is by winston yabo find the show at TrueStory.fm, and if your podcast app allows ratings and reviews consider doing that for this show